was my opening line. Did you like the video? All right, that's enough. Well, good morning. Welcome to the jar. My name is Chris, and we are so excited uh, that you are here with us today. And uh, we're glad that you chose to hang out with us on this Easter Sunday. Now, today we are beginning a brand uh, new series called Wired. And uh, we want to do something right at the beginning that we've never done in the jar before. And it's this. We want you to turn on your cell phones. So get your cell phones out for a second, okay? Turn it on. Go ahead. You won't get in trouble, I promise, all right? Get your cell phones out. Turn them on. Now, usually what we do is we tell people to either silence them or uh, to, you know, turn them off. But we're going to break the rules this morning, okay? And we found some uh, really cool technology in which you can actually go and uh, text a message in, and it's going to kind of give us an interactive survey for a question that we're going to ask, okay? So if you would, go ahead and get your cell phone, and you're going to text this number. And the number is 99503. 99503, okay? So go ahead, text that in. All right, 99503. And then what you're going to do is uh, you are going to put in a response to a question that we're going to give. Now, the question that we're going to ask is this. What comes to mind when you hear the word wired? Okay? What comes to mind when you hear the word wired? And so, if you think it's electric, that's what you're going to text in right now, okay? Electric. And if you think the word means internet, you're going to tap, you're going to uh, type that in, in your phone, internet. And then if you do Starbucks, if that is what it means to be wired, you'll put that in. And then the last thing is uh, if you like to get jacked up on chocolate milk. That, that's the way Isaac likes to do things. Woohoo, you know. Uh, then you can put that in and see. We'll, we'll see what we have here, okay? All right, it's growing, it's growing. <clears throat> We're getting closer. That's good that Isaac's last, so keep on texting more. Okay. So it looks like we're at a point in which when you think of the word wired, it comes to, uh, and we can stop the poll here, when you think of the word wired, the two words that come to your mind are electrically connected and connected to the Internet. And the last things there are Starbucks, and we're grateful that the last thing is Isaac there, okay? Now, now you can go ahead and put your phones back on silence, okay? Or turn them off if you want. Well, there are many things that come to mind when we think of wired. 
We've talked about four of them uh, today. But there are many other things that come to your mind. And today, what I want to talk about is how God has wired you. How has God wired you? Now, when you walked in today, you received a, a little wire. If you can pull that out for a second, okay? You received a little wire and a sheet that says, Love, Learn, and Live. Did everyone get this? Okay, if you didn't, raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. But what this is for, after we're done with the series, or after we're done with this teaching today, I'd like you to actually go ahead and keep this wire somewhere close. That you would remember how you are wired. Because we're going to talk about today three things. That God has wired you to love, to learn, and to live. Okay. Now the first thing that God has wired you for is God has wired you for love. God has wired you for love. God never does anything accidentally. He never does. And He never makes mistakes. And the reason is because He's created everything. I mean, every plant, every animal, every person was designed with a purpose in mind. And when God created you, when He kind of wired you up, the motivation of the whole reason why He made you was because He wanted to show His love to you. The Bible says this, Long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of His love, to be made whole and holy by His love. You are the focus of God's love. You're the focus of God's love. Before God created anything else in the universe, He created you to focus on you and His love for you. He created you. He wired you to be connected to Him because He loves you. And there's not a single second that goes by in which God is not reaching out to you in love. And so if you've ever asked the question before, is there really anybody who would ever love me no matter what? The answer is yes. And the person who will love you no matter what is Jesus Himself. Now it's important to remember that the Bible doesn't say God has love or God gives love or God receives love, although all those things are important. But the Bible says that God is love. God is love. In other words, His very nature, His very character, who He has designed Himself to be is love. And there's nothing you can do in your own behavior that can take away from the fact that He'll love you. Your behavior is not dependent upon God's love for you. It's not based upon your past or your present or your future. It's not based upon what you've done or you haven't done. But it's based on the fact that He loves you no matter what. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. He loves you. It's simple as that. Because that's His nature. You know, the story of Easter, the story of today, is not just a story about a loving God who says, I love you. I mean, a lot of people say that, right? 
hear that all the time. I love you, I love you. But do they do anything that shows that? Do they demonstrate their love for you? And there is a God who demonstrated his love for us through giving us Jesus Christ. The Bible says this. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we, once upon a time, loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Folks, there's something that every single one of us has in common in this room, and it's this. We've all messed up, flubbed up, and screwed up in this thing called life. There isn't a person here who hasn't made a mistake. We've all damaged our relationship with God. But the good news of Easter is that God takes whatever those mistakes are, whatever those sins are, whatever those failures are in your life, and three days ago we celebrated the fact that all of those were placed upon Jesus' shoulder. All of your sins, all of my sins, all of the sins of the world were placed upon his shoulders so that you could be freed up, so that they could be cleared away. He took our sins and he wiped them clean. Now, just by a sign of uh, hands, how many of you ever got your name written on a chalkboard at school before? And we know what we call those of you who didn't raise your names, right? Liars, okay? We've all had that experience before, where you get your name written on the chalkboard. Mine happened when I was in fifth grade. I was talking to Eugene Johnson, and uh, we were talking. And if you got three check marks, the teacher called you, called your parents, I mean. And I was scared. I was petrified to death. And yet, you know what happened in that week? She never called. I confessed to my parents, but she never called, you know. I learned after that, never tell them anything, you know, that happens at school. (laughs) But what Mrs. Jackson did on that day was she just took the eraser and she erased it off the board. And that's what Jesus does for you. He clears away the sins in your life. And he's a God of amnesia. He doesn't remember them anymore. And the reason he did this, folks, is because he wanted you to know that he loves you. Now, historically, we all know that Jesus Christ died on a cross. In fact, some of you might be investigating this whole Jesus thing today. And you're like, all right, well, yeah, the Bible says that, but does it say that anywhere else? And it does. You can look in Roman records in which it talks about the fact that there was this man named Jesus who came and he was crucified on a cross. But the question I want to ask you is not, do you know that Jesus died on the cross, but do you know that he died on the cross for you? In fact, if you were the only person in the world when he went to the cross, he would have died for you. That's how much he loves you. So that he paid for your sins. So that he could take your guilt and your shame and those skeletons in the closet and all the check marks up on the board and he takes them all and he says you're free. I take them on, you're free. And he did this so you could go to heaven. You see, you should always invest your life in something that goes beyond your life, right? 
And what that is, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And He's prepared a perfect place for you. There's no perfect people allowed here at the jar. So if you're perfect, you should just leave now, okay? I don't see anybody. One little smart kid. I see you right there. That looked like me at one time. I understand. But none of us are perfect. None of us at all. But God prepared a perfect place for you in heaven. And He wants you to be there with Him. You know, the greatest act of love that that has ever been done for your life was not done by your parents. It wasn't done by your husband. It wasn't done by your wife. Not by your boyfriend. Not by your girlfriend. But by Jesus Christ Himself. When He took on every single thing you've ever messed up in in your life. And He said, I'll take it. You're set free. And the greatest love was shown three days later when He rose again and He said, I'm not a dead God. I'm a living God. A live, vibrant God. And I'm here with you. And what's cool is that when He came back to life, He walked around uh, planet Earth, Jesus did, for 50 days. He appeared to over 500 people. And every time He appeared to them, He just showed them His hands. And He said, look at my hands. Look at my feet. These are the nails for you. This is for you. And when Jesus stretched out His hands upon the cross, He said, I love you. I love you this much. I love you so much. I love you that it hurts. I love you that if you were the only person, I would have done this for you. I love you so much that I'll take it on so that you're set free. I'd rather die, I love you so much, than to live without you. Friends, no one will ever love you like Jesus does. No man will ever love you. No woman will ever love you. No one will love you as much as He loves you. But Jesus wants you to know that today, not only does He want you to receive that love, but He wants you to be able to give that love away to other people. God wired you for love. He wired you to, to receive love from Him and to give love away to other people. Almost two years ago, um, my life was totally turned upside down. My wife Jennifer and I had our very first child, Jordan. And uh, my wife's pregnant now for our second one. And I'm scared to death, okay? But anyways, a couple years ago, Jordan came into our life. And in the first year of Jordan's life, um, all she did was lay around and receive love. You know, she wasn't a lot of benefit of giving love to people. I mean, she was loved, she was fed, she was burped, she was chained, she was cuddled, she was rocked, she was given all the attention and love that she needed. But then year two came, and all of a sudden I started to notice something different in Jordan's life. She didn't just want to receive love, but she actually wanted to start giving it. And the first act of love that she did was she patted people. And then she kissed people. And then she hugged people. And now the thing that she says is two words. Lavu. Lavu. I don't know how you spell that, but uh, she does, okay? And the idea of God wiring us to give love away to other folks was no more, more clear or shown than when we went to the Atlanta International Airport a couple of months ago. 
If any of you have ever traveled with a two-year-old or less in an airplane, it's not a pleasant experience. But she didn't do too bad. But when she got out of the airplane, she wanted to walk. And so Jordan and I started walking around the terminal. And we're walking around. I'm holding her by, uh, our hand, my, by my hand. And eventually, she runs off. And she sees a little kid that's about her size, a little bit bigger, actually. And this is what she did. She grabbed him around the leg and started to hug him. Now, this little kid was named Leave. He was from a European country, and he was stiffer than a doornail. He's like, what is this little child doing to me? But Jordan was smiling. She was so excited because she was able to give love away. Folks, the reality is, God wired you for love, both to receive love and to give love away. And I just wonder this morning if there are any of you who've been holding back some love from people in your life. Maybe it's your spouse. You've just been holding back some love, something they've done to you. Maybe it's a child or a parent. Maybe it's another member in your family, or maybe it's a friend. And I just wonder today, why not bury the grudge today? Why not do a Jordan on them, you know? And go and embrace them once again. And maybe you're like, there's no way I could embrace them. Well, just do some act of love. Why not forgive them for what they've caused the hurt in your life? And just get on with your life then. Because you weren't wired to hold love back. You were wired to give love away. Well, here's the second way that God wired you. He wired you to learn. God wired you to learn. The Bible says this, Everyone with good sense wants to learn. Everyone with good sense wants to learn. There is nothing more sad in life when there is a person who no longer wants to learn. They just get to a point in their life and they're like, I'm done. I'm just going to kind of coast away until I die. And that's exactly what happens. Because when you stop learning, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, guess what happens? You either grow or you die. (laughs) And that's it. So God is clear. If you want to be sensible, you will want to learn. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what does God want you to learn? I mean, there's a lot of things that you could learn. What's the most important thing God wants you to learn? And the most important thing He wants you to learn is to learn to trust Him. To trust Him. God says this, Anyone who trusts in Me will not be disappointed. Anyone who trusts in Me will not be disappointed. Do you know why you're disappointed or why you get disappointment in your life? It's because you're trusting in something besides God. Some of you have thought, man, if I just had this experience, if I just had this one experience, then I would be happy. And you had the experience and you got disappointed. Some of you thought, if this person was in my life, then they would meet my needs and I would be happy. 
But they didn't, and you're disappointed. Or maybe you just thought, if I could just ring that ladder of success, if I was able to accomplish that one thing, then I'd be happy and satisfied. But it didn't make you happy and satisfied, and you're disappointed. This person, this event, this thing, if I just have this car, if I just have this house, if I just have this job. But the reality is all those things eventually disappoint you. But God says, anyone who trusts in me will not be disappointed. From the outside, that sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Trust God, you won't be disappointed. You know why? It's hard for us to trust anybody, let alone a God that we can't see. I mean, it's difficult for us to trust. And the reality is, myself and every single person here, we don't fully trust God. I mean, we trust Him in a few areas of our life, but the reality is we don't trust Him with everything in our life. And the reason we don't trust Him, the one thing that keeps us back from trusting Him is one word. It's a four-letter word, and it's called fear. Fear. Now, fear is not a stranger to me, and I have a feeling it's not a stranger to you. In fact, if we were honest, we've all been affected by fears. Kind of reminds me of the story that I heard this week of a little boy who had only two lines in a play. And the two lines were, It is I, be not afraid. It is I, be not afraid. He practiced it. He memorized it. Finally, the day of the play came. He gets on the stage. The stress level comes up. The spotlights come down. And this is what he said. It's me, and I'm scared to death. (laughs) And the reality is, we all know what that's like. We experience that. Now, the best way, I think, for us to really understand this whole issue of fear is to go back to Little League, okay? So, uh, there's a picture that's going to come up that'll show me in Little League. There I was, okay? And uh, in Little League, uh, there are some fearful things. And the first thing uh, that we want to talk about this morning is the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown. What keeps you from trusting and learning from God? The fear of the unknown. And you find that, most of all, when you get to Little League. Now, the place where you experience this fear of the unknown is what is called the on-deck circle. Okay? Now, if you are a person who likes the Cubs, you're not in the fear of the unknown. You know you're going to lose. Okay? (laughs) Any Cubs fans here? All right, come back next week, all right? But when you're 8 or you're 9 or you're 10 years old and you're on the on-deck circle, I mean, you experience the fear of the unknown for the first time in your life. And in your head, you're thinking as you're kind of watching the pitcher, what if the pitcher hits me? What if... I don't remember the sign that the coach gives me and I do the wrong thing. What if I have to bunt and I don't do it right? What if I actually hit the ball? Which base do I run to? And the reality is, 
The what if doesn't stop in Little League. Because sometimes the what if game that we play goes on for the rest of life. And we ask questions like this. What if they don't like me? What if I've gained too much weight? What if I'm not good looking enough? What if they hurt me? What if they ignore me? What if I lose my job? If I lose my house? What if I lose my car? And maybe the biggest fear of all is this fear. What if I trust this God that you're talking about, but He doesn't meet my need? Or what if I try to trust Him, but I'm just not good enough? Well, for the fears of all the unknowns, God has a response, and it's in the Bible, and it's this. Do not fear, for I am with you. In fact, did you realize that is the most used promise in the Bible out of anything else? Yeah, God loves you. God forgives you. God has a second life for you planned in eternity in heaven. But the thing that He wants you to know most, more than anything else, is that I will be with you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what happens in your future, no matter what people say about you, I will be with you. The second greatest fear that keeps people from trusting and learning from God is the fear of failure. The fear of failure. Now let's stick to our little league illustration for a second. And the fear of failure comes when you hit the dreaded next stage once you go from the on-deck circle. And then what do you go to? The batter's box. And when you get in the batter's box... You're not so worried about the what-ifs because you're already there. But what you're concerned about is whether or not you're going to fail. And for some kids, this is what they think. As they're up to bat, they're thinking, if I strike out, I'm a failure. If I ground out, I'm a failure. If I pop out, I'm a failure. Now, there are some kids, though, that are overachievers, right? And they get up there, and usually because their parents have told them something... They think to themselves, if I don't get a double, I'm a failure. If I don't hit the fence, I'm a failure. If I don't hit a home run, I'm a failure. And what happens is that we leave Little League, but that sense of having fear of failing goes on to the adult league of life. And it happens when we don't trust God. Folks, the reality is, is that every single person fails. Everyone fails. There is one thing that we have in common, is that everyone wrestles with failure. Now, when you walked in today, and some of you walked in for the first time, it was probably maybe a little weird, scary experience, and uh, you got in here and you looked and you finally found your place to sit down, and you looked around and you just thought, all these people got it together. And I don't. Well, I just want to kind of level the playing field right now. And, uh, you know, the reality is, if you look down the row of the people that you're sitting with, so go ahead, look at the people, okay? Look at them, look down at them, look at all of them, okay? Guess what? They're all failures. 
They've all failed in something in their life. They don't have it all together. And they all have something in common. We all do. In this gym, we've all failed at something. But let me say this. Even though um, there is a fact of life that failure happens, it doesn't have to be a way of life. Failure is a fact of life. It doesn't have to be a way of life. And it doesn't have to be something that you fear. Now I realize that for some of you, you've experienced gut-wrenching failure. The type of failure where it's gone public. It's in the newspapers. People know about it. You, you feel embarrassed about things. I don't know why you've experienced that. Maybe it's because something you did and you need to learn from it. Maybe it's because of some stuff that didn't have, uh, have any fault of your own. But folks, no matter what you've experienced, no matter how much failure you fear, The story of Easter is this. That Jesus went to a cross because He wanted you to know that you can take any failures from your past, your present, or the future failures of your life and you give them to Him. And He says, I'll take them on. I'll take the weight that's been holding you down and I will set you free. And then He rose three days later because He wanted to give you hope that says, you are not defined by your failures. You are defined by my love. And the Bible says this, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. It took a perfect sacrifice of God's only Son to wipe out the fear that you would ever have to experience. Only Jesus Christ has perfect love for you. And only He and He alone can drive out all the fear of the unknown and the fear of failure. And the key is to put your trust in Him because He will not disappoint. Now, I was thinking about it this week and I realized that many of you will believe that today. You'll leave from this place and you'll do your Easter dinner or whatever and you'll be like, man, I don't have any fears. I'm fear-free. And some of you might even believe this for the rest of the week. And you'll say, hey, I am living a no-fear type of life. But the reality is, life is going to hit you somewhere in the next few days or weeks or months or years, and Easter is going to be long gone, and you have to ask yourself, what am I supposed to do then? And the best way to confront fear is through God's words. The Bible says this, by reading the Scripture, you learn how God wants you to behave and you discover what is right. In other words, when you take this book, and for some of you it may feel intimidating, but when you take this book and you open it up, you don't have to be dependent any longer upon Chris or anyone else, but you can take care of any of the fears or struggles in your life because you can read it yourself. And God wants to free you from your fears. That's why He gave us a book, kind of a a road map to help us to know that whenever we're fearful, whenever we're struggling with something, we can turn to it. And it can help us get rid of our fears. And so when fear comes, you confront it by reading this. Now the question becomes, I'm interested in 
reading the Bible. That's what many people say. They'll say, you know what, I'm open to it. I'm open to reading this thing called the Bible. I just don't know where to begin. Because there was a point in which uh, I tried to read it one time, and I got to those, you know, these, thou's, hitherto's, and wherefore's. I mean, you have to say that carefully. You know, wherefore's. And, um, you know, in a real way, you're like, no way. I just can't read it. Well, the place that you want to start is in the book of Mark. In fact, you can pull this out from your, uh, your insert or from your uh, program. There's an insert, a yellow one, that says the book of Mark. And it shows you very clearly how you can do it yourself. It only takes five minutes a day, and you can do it. You can read a whole book of the Bible within the next six weeks. And we give you weekends off. You know, we're not trying to be hard here, okay? We give you the weekend off. But uh, go ahead and do this and see how it changes the fear in your life. And for some of you, you might want to experience what's going to happen on the uh, 25th of April when we have our walk through the New Testament. And it's going to be great. And if you haven't signed up for it, it's not too late. You can do that. We still have 20 spots left. You can just say, I'm going to do that. Free child care, free food. And uh, you get to know more about the love letter that God has for you. You see, folks, this isn't a book to beat you down. It's a love letter to let you know that you can experience life to its fullest. Well, God wired you for love. God wired you to learn. And God wired you to live abundantly. God wired you to live abundantly. Jesus said this, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I want you to have a fulfilling life, a life that is full, a life filled with significance and vitality and energy. Jesus says, I don't want you to just make it through life. I don't want you to just get through life. I don't want you to just kind of endure through life. I actually want you to enjoy it. I want you to experience it to its fullness because I wired you to live abundantly. So how do you do it? How do you live an abundant, passionate life? Well, you've got to get connected. You've got to get linked. You've got to get tapped into a power source that is greater than yourself. You know, it's interesting to me that in our culture, that many of us have a terminology for power shortage when it hits our life. We say things like this. I'm worn out, I'm played out, I'm stressed out, I'm burnt out, I'm run down, I'm used up. I'm bushed, exhausted, fizzled, bone-weary, dead-tired. I'm on my last leg, I'm at the end of the rope, I'm about to come unglued, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Any of those sound familiar? Yeah. But regardless of the phrase, what it represents is power shortage in your life. And today, this Easter Sunday, Jesus wants to give you power, power that is all that you need. He offers you the power for you to change your life. He offers you the power to change the unchangeable. I mean, you've been trying to change this one thing in your life, and you've tried, but you can't do it on your own. It's a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, but you can't do it. You need power greater than yourself. He gives you the power to let go of guilt, to let go of grief. He gives you the power to let go of grudges that 
keep you stuck in the past from experiencing what God wants you to fully experience. He gives you the power to forgive yourself. That's what some of you need this morning, just to forgive yourself. And for others of you, you need the power to forgive other people. He gives you the power to start over and really make a new life with yourself. Maybe you messed up with some stuff, but now He gives you the power to start something new. He gives you the power to keep going when you're discouraged and you think, I can't take another step. He says, I'll help you. And He gives you the power to show you how you're wired up. How He wired you up to be at the very beginning. Friends, that type of power is available to you today. It is. Because God wired you to live abundantly. If you would, let's take a look at some promises that God gives to you. You could keep these for this week. Promises of His power. The first one says, I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. The next promise says, God will strengthen you with His own great power so that you will not give up when trouble comes. The next promise says this, God never grows faint or weary. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. Those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. You know, many of you have been trying to handle this life thing just on your own. And you're tired and you're worn out and you feel like you're just kind of going through the motions. So you might be asking, well, Chris, how do I get that power? And I'm telling you, the way that you get that type of power in your life is by developing a relationship with the one who knows you best and who loves you most. Each week I go to the... um, Ball State Library, and um, I work on my teaching there. It's real quiet, no phone calls, and uh, I have time to work on it. And there's a parking garage right there, and that's typically where I go and park my car and, and hang out. And uh, I literally do hang out. Usually what I do is I, I'm not always a people person, so for lunch I just sit in my car in the parking garage and uh, I eat. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I did that routine. I'm in the parking garage. I have my Jimmy John sandwich, slim number one. Nothing on it. I love it. And I'm sitting there, and uh, I turn the power of my ignition off, but uh, I turn it back to halfway because I want to listen to a half hour of sports talk radio. And so I'm listening to it, and uh, I get done with uh, the radio program, 30 minutes, and I get ready to turn the ignition, and it's dead. Nothing. My wife is gone. I have no one I feel like I could call to come rescue me, and it's dead. And so I try a couple times, and you just, you know, I don't know why the radio was still working, you know. Like there was enough power for the radio to work, but not to start the car. And I just kept turning it, nothing. Well, finally, you know, I'd read before about pastors who prayed for cars. And I did that. And God said no. 
And so I get out of my car and I get my jumper cables out of the trunk and I start trying to wave down some people that are coming. And the first guy comes by and I wave him down. It's an older gentleman, kind of a grandfatherly figure. He rolls down his window and I tell him the situation. And I go, hey, can you give me some power? And he, like a grandfather, he says, no. Not with this car. I kept thinking, well, what car? You know, this is the only one that's here. And again, someone else came by. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I flag another person down. It's a college student. And they say, oh, dude, absolutely. And so we get to both of our cars, and um, I get this uh, plugged in. And I look down, and I realize that part of the problem is, is that I have some corrosion on my battery. And I'm thinking, man, there's no way that this is going to work. But I thought, well, he's probably got a nice, clean battery. And so uh, he opened up his hood, and it was filled with corrosion as well. And I thought, oh, great, that's wonderful. And I have a feeling today, if we went out to some of your cars, there'd be some corrosion around some of the battery cables. But I guess I'm wondering today, is there some corrosion in your life? I have a feeling that in a crowd this size, there are some of you right now who have either lost a job or you're going to lose a job or you're financially struggling and you're thinking to yourself, no way I can make it, too much corrosion. Others of you are here today and you're in the middle of a separation or you are in the middle of a divorce and you've got corrosion. For some of you, you just recently buried a loved one and they're uh, in, the, in the ground now. And the grief of corrosion is on your life. And for some of you, you have marital corrosion. You have kid corrosion. You have corrosion because you're a single person and you've been wanting to get married for a long time, but you can't do it. And there's just corrosion that's all on your life. And you're thinking, how can I get power that's going to get beyond that? And this whole time, there's been two different batteries. One says you and one says God. And for some of you, you you say, I want to get some different power in my life. And so you'll go to different places. You start with relationships with other people. And you think, if I get plugged in with them, they'll give me the power I need. Or a possession or something else. And you get plugged in. And it's not enough. And I'm telling you, the only thing that will give you the power in your life that you need to overcome any obstacle that you have is you have to get plugged in to God. That's it. When you leave today, the only thing that really matters is can I get plugged into God? And the Bible says this. It says, Christ's power is in me. God's power isn't out there somewhere. It's available to you today if you can turn to Him. And so I'd invite you to stand and we're going to close in prayer. And maybe you've never connected yourself with God before and today's the first time you're like, hey, I'm going to try it out. And only you can do it. You have to choose to be the one to get connected to Him. Or maybe you're ready for a reconnect today. But whatever it is, only you can do it. And so we're going to say this prayer. It'll be a prayer in which uh, you can say silently to yourself.
You don't have to say it out loud. God knows what's in your heart. And then we'll close out. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for wiring me to love, to learn, and to live. I want to get connected with you and your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to get power from other resources, but they won't work. But I want you to know, God, that if I come to you, there's some corrosion in my life. And I need your help. Would you please forgive me for the times in which I've gone away from you rather than connecting to you? Jesus, I don't understand it all, but as much as I understand right now, I thank you for dying for me and taking all my fears and my failures upon your shoulders. I realize I need you in my life. Please help me to learn from you. And from this day forward, I want to follow you and live in your power that I know is best for me. Please come into my life and help me right now. Help me right now, God. Know that you are here.
Easter, and uh, we'll see you next week for Wired. Thanks. Bye.